Let's take our Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 7, verse number 24. We'll come here in just a few minutes. I want to give just a little introduction before we read our text this morning. I think if you've been with us following the last several weeks, uh, four weeks ago we introduced a message on, uh, on praying and repairing some things from 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30 and following, the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, and preparing some things. And uh, I didn't know that I would uh, take this long in verse number 30, but the Lord has led us this way. In that introduction part of that message four weeks ago, I gave just four things. There's numbers of other things perhaps, but four areas of our lives that need to be repaired if we believe God's going to hear us when we pray and answer. And uh, the first thing we brought to our attention was sin uh, needs to be confessed, recognized, confessed, and forsaken. And if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord's not going to hear me, okay? And uh, then we talked about intimacy with His Word, the second lesson a couple weeks ago that brought us to the reminder that, that if, uh, if I refuse and turn my ear from hearing the Word, the law, then my prayer is going to be an abomination. Last week we came to this lesson here in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, that if I've got something in my heart that's not right with a brother or sister, uh, the Lord says, stop your praying, go back, take care of that first, and then come back and talk to me about what you need in your life by way of repair. Do your business at the altar. And I want to take a lesson from 1 Peter chapter 3. We mentioned this four weeks ago, and this was the last thing we mentioned. Uh, the Scripture gives to us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 7, uh, that we need to dwell with our wives with an understanding and uh, as we walk together as heirs together of the grace of life that our prayers would not be hindered. And so I want to bring a lesson this morning, if I can, back from the Sermon on the Mount that's in relation to this very thought about marriage reminders here from the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and so today I hope that there's things in the lesson today that you and your spouse can make right and work together on so that you can have more effective praying together and praying individually and be able to have your petitions that you request of God to be answered. Uh, can I make a confession to you today? This one is the one I struggle on the most. I struggle on this one the most. I've been doing this now for nearly 49 years with an heir together that I've been joined with my spouse. And uh, it's a struggle. It's an area you have to maintain. And uh, I don't find myself just continually habitually sinning. I think my wife knows that uh, I try my best to work with intimacy in his word. And, and uh, you know, sometimes taking care of offenses with brothers and sisters, that's difficult. Uh, but this one is probably the biggest test that we faced in marriage, those of us that are married, is how we're doing together. Are we designed as God wants us to be designed? Are we performing the many lessons in Scripture that God gives us great admonition and exhortations towards men that are married and women that are married? And so I believe today the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts in a way that we can uh, maybe get some clarity on this. And then next week, for a couple more weeks, I, I'm not going to spend much more time on prayer. I, we'll do this probably in other ways in the uh, opportune moments that we have during the transition time. But a couple messages get more in the idea of praying together and praying before the Lord. But, I, I, you know, just to know you can't get your prayers answered if things aren't right in your life. You're not going to hear from God. He's not going to give you the desires of your heart. 
You've got to walk in his delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. Then he gives you the desires that are in your heart, you see. And very pertinent, our scripture says, God will not hear you. 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 Your prayers are going to be hindered. And he gives a preface by that. And so the lesson this morning is something that came to us. We'll come back to 1 Peter in just a moment, these things. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Alastair Biggs said this. Uh, he's a Scottish pastor for nearly 40 years, over 40 years now, I think, in, 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 uh, in, uh, in Scotland. And he, uh, he said something clear about this passage that I sort of liked. That this is not the Sermon on the Plain. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I thought maybe make some application to that, but I won't go there this morning. But notice where this message took place. The north side of Israel, a little mount, really just a large hill is what it is, overlooking the Sea of Galilee, up in the northern part of Israel, outside Capernaum, where this lesson took place. If you've been there in Israel, you may have passed by. They call it, uh, they call it the Mount of Beatitudes today. Is the, is the name they give it. The Mount of Beatitudes is the name that exists today. About this location where he gave this sermon on the mount. He'd already preached when he came. John gave to us, introduced. He preached a message of repentance and salvation and believing on he alone who was the Christ. But this message in chapter 5, 6, and 7 is not about salvation, coming to Christ. It's now about how to live the life. And he's referring this lesson toward his disciples. I've always picked this for many, many years. I began studying a little bit this week. And I think most people agree that, uh, though we're not for certain about this, but look at the setting here. Many places when he's preaching the kingdom in the book of Matthew, he's talking specifically to his disciples but if you read in certain places, you'll find there's always an audience nearby overhearing what he had to say, near and afar. When he gave those parables that he gave, the kingdom parables that he gave, and there was always that extra crowd. They were spoken specifically and toward his disciples, but there was always listeners nearby. And so I see this story of Jesus on the mount here, preaching toward the Sea of Galilee, his disciples nearby but maybe hundreds and hundreds of people around that could hear him as he began teaching how to live your life. This is how you should live your life. It's not how you come to Christ. It's how you live your life now that you have come to Christ, now that you've repented, now that you're in the family of God. Now, let me back up just a moment. Marriage. Uh, the design for God in marriage is people that are in Christ, where he is the head of the home. And I tell you, if, 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 you, if you've been unequally yoked or remain to be unequally yoked, or both of you are outside the faith that's found in Christ alone by being saved and knowing that you're saved, this lesson of the Beatitudes would not be pertinent for you. It's for those of us that are in Christ. I'm glad that I married a girl that was saved. I'm glad that I was saved when I got saved. God graced us to be in his family when we came together. And there's something beautiful about two Christians coming together in marriage to be able to walk in the will of God and the ways of God according to this pattern that's given here. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse number 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. Now he's coming toward the end of his sermon. He'd been speaking chapter 5, chapter 6 coming to the end, and now he kind of relates back. This is kind of his closing remarks, the conclusion of his message. Everyone who hears what I've said in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and everyone not only who hears but does them or will do them, 
not only hearers, but doers, uh, hearers only, but also doers. He said the picture is like this, verse number 24. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it has been founded on the rock. And everyone, here it is again, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, uh, does, does, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell, and great was the fall of it. It's just a little introductory lesson here uh, that gives to us before we go back to uh, a, a passage in chapter 5 that will speak to us more personally when we talk about marriage and uh, 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 that gives to us. And notice how he says this after teaching about anger, after he's taught about lust and anxiety and worrying and vengeance and forgiveness and giving and fasting and praying and even more, he closes a vivid picture in our minds of perhaps could be applied to our homes and to our houses, either being built on a rock or being built upon a sand. They both have the same lifestyle because in every measure, you can't escape this even in a Christian home. You're going to have some rains and you're going to have some storms and they're going to beat upon your home sometimes. But those that have heard his words and applied them to, in obedience to do them, he said, when the winds come, and the, and the turmoil comes, and the toil comes upon the labors in marriage, he, th that house is going to stand. But those are not built upon this rock. Avoid my words, and do not walk in my obedience. Uh, you're going to find, you're going to be in a lot more calamity than that. Your house is going to fall. Not only shake, but it will fall and be destroyed. And so what does it mean to build a marriage on the rock? Simply this, that that's walking in obedience. Let me give you a passage over in 1 Peter, uh, if I can, uh, that previous slide, if you will, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 7, if I can, and, uh, and just give you just a little bit of thought here from this passage that we referred to uh, some weeks ago. And uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 7, let me read it to you. It reminds us, and by the way, uh, if you're taking notes, Go back and read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 11, uh, because that will really give you the whole picture here of that, uh, the harmony that's found in marriage. And notice what he says in verse uh, number 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding. Uh, he'd already uh, brought that to our attention uh, when we talk about uh, that likewise. It had been brought to us. Uh, in reference in chapter 2, it talked about uh, a, a submission that is there to governmental officials. And then in chapter 3 also, uh, uh, chapter 2, uh, a, a submission to our masters and our, as we are servants. And, and then he talks about chapter 3, verse 1, the submission of the wife to the husband. Now he's talking to the husband. He said, y'all need to submit too. Man, Submit. And here's how you do it. It's found in verse number seven. Likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers be not hindered. Uh, that's a good uh, reference for us when we think about it. And uh, husbands are to be, first of all, considerate. Uh, that's an understanding uh, that you have in place uh, of the uh, difference that is there. 
of, uh, of, of the male and the female, the role that is played. But the lesson is there's still a submission. There's an, there's an understanding. It speaks of a sensitive considering the wife's deepest uh, emotional and physical needs. There's a consideration for the wife. That's part of your submission. And he talks about living. Uh, King James talked about dwelling together. Uh, that's the idea. Uh, living in intimacy together and cherishing each other. There's not any more of an intimate relationship than a man and woman who walk and hear his words and walk in obedience and they live that way. There's no more intimacy than you found right there. When Christ is also in the presence there in that home. And so there's an understanding of being considerate uh, of the wife, dwelling together. That's a, uh, that's, a, that's a kind of an I will statement. That's a I surrender statement. Uh, as I enter into marriage, I will dwell together with my spouse, dwell with my wife, understanding who she is, and then to love them. Uh, so many passages on this. You go back to Ephesians chapter 5, gives us that reminder. Uh, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. I love that little passage there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3 to 5. But not only that, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, there's a courtesy. There's being courteous because there's the understanding of the person who's part of my life as an heir together. It's the, the weaker vessel. Now, I want to just give a little explanation on this if I can. Uh, someone weaker. She's the woman and you are the man. And just notice something about submission, those three previous places in 1 Peter chapter 3 I mentioned a while ago. It doesn't imply an, uh, that you've inherited some inferiority of yourself and uh, that has to submit. And it doesn't mean that you're weaker in character or intellect than the husband is. The weaker vessel actually is rendered very well by the translators is that uh, it's not that women are spiritually inferior to men when you uh, get a passage that helps you on that Galatians chapter 3 verse 28. But, but it means that the woman's weaker. She's, she's, she's the female and you're the male. And most theologians really believe this is speaking of the physical sense of the woman. And because of the less strength that she has. So because she has less strength, she put, he's put a different role on the man. You take on the stronger strength physically. And here's how he says, you be the provider, because that takes a whole lot of physical muscles and strength to be the provider for your home. That's not the woman's role. She's got less strength than you. You take care of the provision. And by the way, when danger comes to the home, she's weaker. She's physically. She's probably smaller. She's not as strong as men. She's not built that way. I didn't design them that way. Men are stronger than women. And you also need to be the protector. So he's put that on the man's side. And by the way, I'm following 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm understanding that. She's weaker. The difference is my role, I'm the stronger on the physical side and have given admonitions in Scripture of my responsibility. I like that very clearly. You can go to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 to begin to see where the man is that provider. Ephesians chapter 23, Christ is to the church what he provides by way of love and nurturing and cherishing. The stronger provides for the church himself. Colossians 3, 19. 1 Timothy 3 talks about to, to the men, he said, y'all be the providers of your household. Uh, you, you take well for the household. So the man's the provider. He's the stronger. She's the weaker. And the man understands. That's the distinction he's talking about when he talks about being the weaker vessel, okay? 
And so also it brings to us, you need to walk understanding by way of being companioned with her. We're fellow heirs. My wife often reminds me of that. We're team partners. We work together. And, uh, and, and I like those reminders because sometimes I think I, I'm standing alone. I, I'm, I'm inconsiderate, I'm not thinking about processing something with her, maybe leading to a decision, maybe my schedule, whatever it is. We're team players and team partners. And that's that heirs together. We're companion. And notice we're sharing the grace of life together. It's a shared grace that we have together in marriage. Sharing, you single people, you don't know what I'm talking about. You've not experienced it. If the Lord allows you and designs for you and purposes you to be in marriage, you're going to see that this is a together thing, a together thing. We have a daughter who's 39 years of age. She's never been married. She wants to be married, and she's got something on her mind. There's a boy chasing her right now, and we'll see what happens. But nevertheless, uh, she doesn't know this air together thing. And so we talked to her, hey, baby, you've been 39 years alone. It's going to be a different thing if you ever get married at 40 years of age and find out that there's a togetherness that she's never experienced. But there's a blessed togetherness. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's a good thing. Shared grace of life together? That's who we are. We are heirs together of the grace of life. And you talk about grace, that unmerited, undeserved favor. It's found so many of Paul's writing that explains it to us. It's a divine providence given to man regardless of his attitude towards the giver. That intimate companionship in marriage. I like what somebody said. That's the richest blessing of life. The richest blessing of life is to have an intimate companionship in life through marriage. What a blessing. And Peter knew something about that in writing on this particular time in history. And he says, you know, men, if you can be considerate and understanding, and if you can be courteous in your role, as understanding your role is, has a distinction because of a less, the gal I've given to you in her physical role, that you can accomplish so many things and provide and protect her in so many ways. And, and if you can understand there's a companionship together in God's grace, the grace of life, you walk through it and you experience that. And if you can complete those three areas in your marriage, your prayers will not be hindered. But how you score on that mark, man, determines how well your prayers are heard. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And so can I walk you through just for a few minutes, make application from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, some things that are helpful and can be helpful to those of us that are here today as we think about this lesson about how is marriage built on a rock? It's simply by hearing his word and doing it by obedience to his word. I want to go through four or five places in Matthew chapter 5 that helps us to see some application in the latter part of the Sermon on the Mount. I think I said this last week. I'm not sure when we went to Matthew chapter 5. The first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 5 deal with our attitudes. They're called Beatitudes. They're actually translated. These are blessed attitudes. And he gives a blessing for everyone that's obtained and observed and where someone has heard about it, and now they're actually doing it. If you do this, then here's what happened. And those illustrations, you'll be able to see God and mercy be given to you. And so he gives a promise after every attitude 
is recognized and performed. He talks about attitude first. And then when you go past chapter 5, verse 16, you start verse 17 and forward, he's talking about our actions. And for every attitude that is mentioned in Matthew 5, these eight that are mentioned in the first 16 verses, he gives something towards the actions that are spelled out in the, in, in the last two chapters, of the, uh, two and a half chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. That's what I want to do this morning with you just for a few minutes. And I want to make an application if I can. But let me say this to you. If you're not married to you, <laughs> you still hold on to Matthew chapter 5. It applies to your personal life, okay? This is for those of us that are in Christ. We've repented. We believed on Christ. We're in his family. So he's introducing to these new disciples how to live their lives. I like that. The master who created us knows all about us, who has a purpose and a plan for us. He gives us a model of instruction in three chapters of the book of Matthew. You'll also find this in a shorter version in Luke chapter number 6. Uh, but the one that's more played out to us here are these three chapters in Matthew chapter 5. So we're listening and remember he said in the latter part of chapter 7, if you've heard what I've been saying for the last hour and you agree to do them, your home, make an application, your home can be built on a rock and stand. A rock. You'll have a rock home, not a sand home where the foundation can shake and crumble with just a little bit of wind, a little bit of adversity. By the way, is not that why some marriages decide that's where we are? And when a little wind or adversity, complications, not walking as God's heirs of life, committed to each other through the gospel and in harmony through marriage, uh, you'll find that marriage built upon the sand. And so I hope your desire is to have Matthew chapter 7 Verse 24 to 28, a house, amen, that's built on his rock, on the rock of Jesus. And so how do we do this? Well, I'm going to hear, and I'm going to listen. So let's rewind the DVR backwards towards the front part of his message. And he gives us five things here in these first few verses of Matthew chapter 5 that will relate, and I want to relate them to our marriages. So these are marriage instructions or reminders from the Sermon on the Mount. Number one, go to five, verse number five. We're in Matthew chapter five, verse number five. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. A good lesson for us here. And so he gives to us uh, that as we walk in the meekness, it talks about our humility. For they shall inherit the earth. I've lost a page of my notes here, and I'm going to skip through and find it in a second. I got it right here. Go to Matthew chapter 7, verse number 3, if you will. Here's the action to this verse. Matthew chapter 7 is the action to this attitude. The humble, the meek. And by the way, the reference to inheriting the earth, the Jews knew something about this. There was a reference to that, the old Jews from the Old Testament, about the earth and their place, their location. Uh, by the way, if you want to go a little further with this, I personally believe, uh, uh, by way of eschatology, 
that God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, I believe these Old Testament Jews dwell on this new earth. And the New Testament saints dwell in that new Jerusalem. That's another day, another story. But they knew something about inheriting the earth. Really, what I think the application is, the humble can inherit the earth. That is being able to receive all the blessings of life God has for us in this earthly life. You can be privy to it and blessed by it. But it's through the humility of the person, not through the arrogance or the proud, or for those that seem to be they're the stronger. And so, uh, a good lesson for us. Look, if you will, in this lesson, dwell humbly together uh, uh, in marriage. Look at verse number three. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? Application. Why do you see the speck that's in your husband's eye? Or your spouse's, your wife's eye? Why do you do that? But do not notice the log that's in your own eye. How can you say to your spouse, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There's no one on this earth that knows my sins more than that girl right there. Nobody knows it better. And there's nobody on this earth that I would even imagine knows her sins more than I do. We live together with each other's sins. You take that a little step further. Strongholds, same would be true. It might not have happened the first year or two, but 49 years this August, I can say that. I don't think there's a question. Could you say that about me, by the way? Sure, she could. Nobody knows better than her. My mom and daddy thought they did. She's got it down a whole lot better than mom and dad ever had it. I only lived at home 18 years. She's had me all my adult life. In intimacy and marriage, husbands and wives know each other. They know their frailties. They know their shortcomings. They know their, 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 their sins. They know their attitudes. There's a knowledge that comes together by living together. And one of the things that becomes difficult in this area is having to deal with each other's sins. Why are y'all so quiet? That is hard. I got my own sins. And I don't handle them right all the time. I fail many times. I got a sin today that so easily besets me. Don't look at me piously. Man, you got one yourself, don't you? Yeah. Always got the devil hounding my tracks in the flesh, causing me to want to trip. Though it may not be an habitual sin, but I find myself having a downsetting here. And sin occurs, I think, every day in my life. I'm pretty sure of that. Every day, every day. So I've got my own sin. But when I come together with the heirs and the grace of life, I'm also living in the presence. I got another load of sins. I got to live with it. I got to live with her sins. And so we got sin in the life. It enters into the relationship. Sometimes those sins oppose each other. 
Sometimes I don't want to see my sin. All I can see is hers and vice versa. And sometimes I lose this verse number five thing, walking in meekness and walking in humility. It bothers me, all the sin she's got in her life. It, it just, it, listen, or all the sins that I've got in my life, it becomes a burden. And then it creates something further Jesus explained to us. James chapter 4, he said, why are all these fightings and wars among you? Y'all got that in marriage? Ever tempted your home somewhere along the line? Why? He begins to say about the old lustful desires that we have. But it's the one side and the other side. And so we begin, if we're not careful, be tempted to oppose each other because of the sins and the reaction towards each other in the sin. And the lesson is, Jesus said, you want you to build your house on a rock? Now you listen to me, he said, and you do what I say. Dwell humbly together. Be meek with each other when you're dealing with each other's differences by way of sinful things or stumbling blocks or things you seem to have little victory in your life. Pay attention to it, but when you process it, walk through it with humility. And then something else. We're to seek first his kingdom and righteousness found in verse number 6. Go back to Matthew 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I like this. They shall be satisfied. That's walking to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All right? Now go over to Matthew chapter 6 by way of an action for this and verse number 31. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 31. Rick, I know you've done some marriage counseling time or two before. I often use this illustration in marital counseling. I got this bride and groom ready to get married and marriage counseling. I, I, I go through several things. But just silly. I said, God the Father is high above us. He's brought us together, the husband and the wife. And the journey is not finding means by which we can get together this way. But the closer our hearts are seeking first the Lord. Interesting that both of us are coming closer together on that journey. And here's the lesson. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Remember Jesus said, now, if you hear these words, and if you'll do verse number 6, your house, your home, your marriage can be built on a rock, you see. Remember? And so back in Matthew chapter 6, what's that say to us? And uh, He gives it to us in verse number 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what we shall wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. But we're seeking the righteousness of the Lord. 
and uh, seeking first his kingdom. What a lesson. First his kingdom. And obviously, the, uh, in other scriptures, man is the provider. Uh, it doesn't mean he ignores the future. But he's, he's, he's bearing the responsibility, uh, not that he's negating what's ahead and the opportunities that lie ahead, needs and the dangers, but he's got his eyes focused on the day God's given to him. He's not anxious about what that might be. He's in the Lord's hand. But his goal is be here and doer. Seek first his kingdom. Fulfill the righteousness, the right living of Christ. And he gives it to us in his, these three chapters, how to live our lives. And so, uh, if you want a house, marriage built on the rock, marriages seek first his kingdom and righteousness. Verse number 7, chapter 5, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. A good lesson for us. Uh, take that passage and go to Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 14. For if you forgive others their trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others and their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. You'll never do any more forgiving than you'll find in marriage. A lot of opportunities in marriage to forgive each other. A lot of opportunities. Hear my words and do them. Be merciful. That's withholding what someone may deserve. Ephesians 4.32, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving each other as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. By the way, you've already proclaimed the previous verse, I'm going to walk in humility and meekness. And it doesn't do anything but fuel me to be able to be more forgiving with the spouse that I have. Be forgiving. What a lesson. So I learn what Jesus said, built on a rock, a home built on a rock. You be a hearer and doer of what I've said. And that's what we're doing. We're going back to what he said. Blessed are the merciful because they'll receive mercy. I found that in marriage sometimes. My wife forgives me, and uh, it's a lot easier for me to just to pass it right on back and forgive her. Christ has forgiven us. We also, to forgive others, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Matthew 6, 14. Forgive others their trespasses because your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I like that. And then keep your heart pure, verse number 8 of chapter 5. It's the fourth one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Good lesson for us. They shall be satisfied. Keeping our heart pure. What's the action? Well, he gives us some helpful verses. This is one passage in the Sermon on the Mount where he does speak more particular to married people. Look in chapter 5, verse number 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Adultery is usually that uh, connotation given by uh, someone who's uh, uh, becoming, uh, sharing their infidelity with someone, one being a married partner. 
But he said, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his mind. Now, this is the action to verse number eight's attitude, pure in heart, pure in heart. What does that look like? Well, here's the action. Looking at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. He's impure. She's impure. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. The pure in heart. It's a battle in marriage. Battle with men and women, both sides. The purity in my heart. To be driven to be a one man woman, ladies, men, a one woman man. Proverbs walks us back through. You read chapter 5, 6, 7. I like to get teenage boys. If I have, Matt, give me the teenage boy for a couple of nights. I like to walk them through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, or Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. It talks about, be, be, watch out now. And you talk about this strange girl. And he, he lists a lot of characteristics about these girls. He talks about their eyelids. He does. Proverbs, watch them eyelids on them girls. Yeah. She don't stay home much. She's always walking the street in the middle of the night. She likes the dark places. But he gives something to us in Proverbs that reminds us about the woman that you have in chapter 5, verse number 19. Listen, I gave her to you, and she's there to satisfy you. I've given you her body and her soul, intimacy in marriage. Let her satisfy you at all times. And that's right in the middle of the passage where he says, don't pay attention to all these other girls around. Be careful, be careful, be careful. That's a battle. It's a struggle. Men, you got to keep your guard. I, I have to do that. Sometimes it's not the touch. It's just kind of conversation. Some flirty gal comes around and kind of, you know, praise me for whatever. And, and I got to filter that just a moment. Where'd that come from? I don't want to steal some of my attention from this girl to give somebody else. Well, you say, I, 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 listen, I, I don't have a hope. I, I, my battle's not in the physical. Sometimes it's just in the mind. In the mind, in the mind. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. You keep your heart pure because in the mind, if, if you just look, that's the mind. It doesn't say touch. Just look. And there's lust there. You're in a battle. Who can help you? She can. She's my heir. We walk together in the grace of life. She feels fulfilled and God has designed every one of those needs. I have no need of this other. But if I'm not hearing, and if I'm not doing, it begins to chisel on the purity of my heart. And sometimes we can go beyond help. We've got the Word of God. We've got the Spirit of God. We've got Ephesians chapter 6 and so forth. Sometimes God gives us another brother, another sister, another counselor. There's safety in the multitude of counselors. Why wouldn't I want to talk to someone about my need here? I'm a luster. I have other desires for someone besides my woman or my man. Oh, I'd never physically 
I sure like them thoughts. And Jesus said, for those that will hear me and do what I say, your home can be built on a rock. The winds will come. They'll knock on your door sometimes and blow. It might even rain and beat upon you. But don't you forget about that air of the grace of life I've given to you. She can fulfill things in your life that no other woman can ever do. And that's the way designed God won't be. And the same is true in salvation. Jesus Christ is the only one that can give us real satisfaction, real joy, and real peace. He's the only one. And we ought to feel that way about our spouse. Pure heart. They'll understand the Lord. They'll be satisfied. They'll see God. And blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. And that's the lesson I gave you last week. I'm not going to give it to you again. Matthew 5, verse 21 and 22, it talks about murder. It talks about anger and so forth. A lot of marriages don't have a whole lot of struggles with verse number 8, the purity in their heart and the infidelity and giving a romance to another person outside of marriage. But one that plagues a lot of Christian homes, the rain that really beats a lot of Christian homes is verse number nine, is that that lack of peace because anger comes many times in our lives. And Jesus said that everyone who's angry with his brother, let's make that an application to his spouse, is going to be liable for judgment. And so if that's there... 1 Peter 3, 7, you're not going to get your prayers answered if you and your wife don't have an understanding relation going on. Your grace heirs together the grace of life. Jesus said, you leave your all from praying, verse 23. You go back and take care of that with your spouse. Get that offense taken care of. We, that was a lesson last week. Remember that, don't you? Matthew 5, verse 21 to 24 is the action to verse number 5. And so what I want to pray for you today as we close a service is that God will allow you to make application a reality in your life from these five areas of attitudes in chapter 5 that play out in the actions that are mentioned in chapter 5, 6, and 7. Because Jesus said, a wise man, a wise woman, build their house on a rock. If they hear my words and do them, and so I want to take this lesson, just make an application in marriage if I can. Like I said, it's not just for marriage. It's for all of us that are in Jesus, how to live our lives. And so I want to ask you, man, a serious question today. You going to do it? Are you going to hear? Listen? Are you going to surrender and say, I will. Better yet, I want all the husbands to stand. I want to ask that in front of this whole crowd today. I want all the husbands to stand. Will you do these things? Will you dwell humbly together with your spouse? Will you seek first his kingdom and righteousness? Will you forgive her? Will you keep your heart pure, men? Will you pursue peace? If you will, you can censor, I will.
Ladies, would you stand just a moment, please? I'm going to ask you the same thing. All the women that are married, if you'll stand, please. All the wives. Wives, will you dwell humbly with your husband? Will you seek together first his kingdom and righteousness? Will you forgive your husband? Will you keep your heart pure, ladies? Will you pursue righteousness and peace in marriage? If you will, say, I will. Praise the Lord. Marriage is honorable, Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is honorable. The bed's undefiled. Jesus said, a Proverbs said in chapter 18, verse 22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. Marriage is honorable, marriage is favorable, and marriage is blessed. God said in Genesis chapter 1, God created man his own image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and, uh, and subdue the earth. You see, God blessed them. And I believe that's the design for all of the marriages within Salem Baptist Church, that there'll be honorable marriages, favorable marriages, and blessed marriages. Why? For a lot of reasons. So we'll get more of our prayers answered in the church for one. Amen. Oh, man. The Lord honors a home, a Christian home. And that's my prayer. Father, thank you for this lesson. I pray that you'd give us a revival in these lessons we've given these last three or four weeks. To open the pathway for answered prayer is my answer, my prayer this morning. In thy name. Amen. Let's all stand together and close our